Welcome to the Female Insight Zone, a podcast dedicated to sharing insights from women who have made an indelible mark in business and the path they took to soar. Welcome to the Female Insight Zone. This is Mary Beth Kosmeski. Today I'm interviewing Karen Huff. She is the founder and CEO of Improv Edge. And she is a Amazon number one category bestseller author. She has done so many amazing things and won lots of awards in her career. And instead of going through and just listing all of them, I think we should talk about it with her and see how she's done the things that she's done. So Karen, welcome to the Female Insight Zone. Oh, thank you, Maribeth. How are you? I am doing great. So tell me a little Good. bit about what Improv Edge is. So Improv Edge is a corporate training company. If you want to get down to the what of what we do, we create training that has an improv twist. So if anyone's ever sat through the most boring day ever and doesn't remember anything they learned, I was in that situation too. And I felt like bringing my skills of improvisation to the learning area for adults was an incredible way to change the way that we integrate, stick to, and learn new things. But the main reason why we do this Marybeth, is because all of us here at Improv Edge passionately believe that improv makes you better at everything. And so this combination of taking ideas and foundational principles from the improvisational stage and mixing it with neuroscience and psychology and fun and meaning has made it one of the most successful modalities that I've ever seen in adult learning. It's really exciting. So why is improv so great for learning? What is it that it brings out in people? So, you know, improvisation is the art form where about five or six people come on stage and we don't have a script, right? We don't have costumes. We don't have props. We have none of the normal tools of theater. We have each other. We are able to create in the moment and we have to be incredibly agile and flexible. Now, if you think about how much the world is changing every day and the disruption that's going on in every market, these skills, these ability to listen, to be present, to be able to be incredibly creative and more importantly, to be agile. These are skills that every leader and team I know desperately need. So these apply very, very immediately. And they also allow people to think about their work through a different lens. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. I think the idea of being flexible in business, the higher up you get, the more bureaucratic the organization is, the more you lose that ability to or feel like you've lost the ability to be flexible. And I think that more companies would definitely benefit from what you're talking about. Uh, no question. And and they really have to be. So even industries that we think of as being very rigid, you know, certainly they are bound by a lot of regulation, like the law industry, the governmental industries, for example, in agencies, accounting, all of those places are still very much experiencing a lot of disruption and change. And they have to create more creative ways to go about doing what they do, lowering prices for clients, for example, delivering their services in new ways. And people are starting to enter those industries and really change them up. So the longtime players are having to think differently about how they behave, how they interact with clients and how they interact with each other. Yeah, absolutely. So Karen, I've known you for a little while and I've sat in some meetings where we were both sitting in the meeting and you ask some of the most insightful questions, especially about issues that impact women. So talk a little bit about your passion for making sure that there's diversity in organizations and in every place you go, you're asking the best questions about how are you doing this and why are you doing that? How does that impact women? And so talk a little bit about that. It has become probably one of my greatest passions. I think why you and I had such good conversations, Mary Beth, as we've gotten to know each other. 
Developing executive women is such a great passion of mine. And I think it stems out of being a female business owner. And also the fact that many years ago, I started doing a lot of research around the work that I do. So if we were going to develop new content, for example, the American Bar Association asked us to create a brand new kind of negotiation workshop and program for attorneys. So I immediately started doing research in neuroscience, psychology, the law, outcomes in law. I held focus groups, for example. This is over a decade ago. I kept coming across all of this information that was very gender specific. And I found as I looked more and more at the content we were creating and also infusing with improv that women are up against very, very different kinds of issues than men are, that society and millennia of sort of societal expectations have changed the way that we're affected and that we're allowed to work. And now that things are changing and certainly really coming to light, it's incredibly important that we stand up and say something as it were. So I believe in, in remaining respectful. I believe that this is not a men versus women thing at all. It's about how do we create the best organizations, the best teams possible. And that would be with the full input and the full ability for women to be engaged. And so, you know, anytime I ask a question, it's because I've been listening, hopefully to the speaker as if I'm an improviser. I want to listen in the moment with no preconceived notions. I want to be right there and thinking about, gosh, what are they saying? And, and if I don't understand something to ask, them to clarify. And I also think it's important anytime we have the opportunity to ask leaders of organizations to say, what are you doing? What are you doing? Because we expect you to do something. We're not going to sort of sit back and hope that you figure it out. We expect you to take the reins and make changes and allow women to be in those places where they can have the same opportunities as men. Does that, I, I know I kind of went a little long, but does that answer your question? It definitely answers the question. And, you know, if you think about what's happening now in the world, and especially in the United States, I mean, asking these kinds of questions and stepping up and standing out is something that many women for many years were not doing. And today they're doing yeah. it. What do you think about what's happening with just this swarm of women coming out about sexual misconduct that has happened to them? And it's just like this swarm of women coming out and all of a sudden they feel like it's okay to talk about it. And I'm, I'm saddened that all of this has been going on, some of which, of course, you and I knew about. But there's other things like, you know, it's good. We're starting to have a different kind of conversation about what's been happening for a very long time in business and entertainment entertainment, in politics? Well, forever, in all of history. So think about the fact that all of the societal structures that were set up, all the rules that we were taught as, as little girls, you know, were to be nice, to not make waves, to not say bad words. And what's happening now is an amazing moment. It's an inflection point, Maribeth, where there's strength in numbers and where because of some incredibly brave women were allowed to take another step forward. But I, I also have to say that this is not necessarily unprecedented because it took a few very brave women who basically gave their lives. They were beaten and stepped on for us to get the vote, which is something we take for granted now. It took incredibly brave women to step forward before that and say, you know, hey, women should be allowed to own property. <laughs> you know, before we were not allowed to own anything. In my lifetime, at least, did you know that it didn't happen when I was getting my papers for my company, but in our lifetimes, women were not allowed to get a bank loan or own a company by themselves. They had to have a man sign on the papers. So, you know, every time somebody opens their mouth and, and says something, hopefully, sometimes they're alone, but sometimes people stand up behind them and say, yeah, 
Me too. And that's sort of exactly what's going on here is that finally, all of the many, many people and institutions that were set up to keep us quiet are sort of tumbling a little bit. And we're also saying we're tired of this because we are a major economic driver of every place on earth. We have the same smarts. We have the same abilities. And we just want to do our work. We want to have good lives. We want to be with the partners that we love. We want to raise families. We want to have good jobs. That's not too much to ask. All of this is, an, is sort of a wave of us coming to realize that we're not alone. I would ask you the same question. You know, what do you think of all this? Well, I think it is absolutely amazing in a good and in a really bad way. But the fact that it's all of a sudden, it's given women the courage to come out and say things that have been happening to them that they've had to hold inside. And like you just said, it's cultural in the sense that, I mean, for instance, 54 years ago, Harvard Business School started allowing women. Women were just allowed to go to business school. And so there's lots of things that have changed in the last you know, several decades and they're still changing. And, you know, people have said to me, well, I'm worried that everyone's going to feel like they've got to be politically correct and it's going to restrict people from saying certain things and doing things. And I'm like, good. I mean, I'd rather have it where people are thinking twice about being politically correct than this whole thing that sexual misconduct is okay and that we should cover it up and, and everything else. And I talked to a woman, I won't say who it is, but on this podcast, and she talked about her Me Too situation. She wasn't very specific, but she later came back to us and said, edit it out. I don't want it in there. And then I thought, okay, so we're taking some steps, but we're not taking all the steps because it's baby steps in a lot of cases. And, you know, my business, I work with men and I work in the financial industry and almost all of our clients are men. Almost everyone who writes a check to me is a man. And I don't want to be seen as someone who is this left-wing feminist, but I do want to stand up for the rights of me and others that are just like me. And I know that, you know, I personally have seen things happen in my business that I thought, boy, if I was a man, I wonder if that would have happened to me. And I, you know, we all know the answer to that, but you know, I've just moved through it, but I think it's time that we start standing up and saying things because there's women that, like you said, you know, have put their entire lives on the line and it's time that we all kind of start telling our stories. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I empathize with you, right? We're both business owners. We have to think about how we're seen. Absolutely. I guess I would also say, let's think for a minute about the definition of the word feminist. Feminist actually means someone who believes that all genders should be paid the same, have the same rights to get an education, and should also be allowed to do whatever work they like to do. Absolutely. And I think that if we took the word away and we sort of set that definition in front of anybody, it'd be really hard for most people, certainly in the United States, to say, I don't agree with that. Well, that's exactly right. It's a shame that feminism has become a bad word because it really just says it's not about extremism. It's just about equality for both genders, right? So, you know, I think that you're totally being cool to stand up for that. I work in a lot of male-dominated fields, too. As you know, the law, accounting, finance, those are all big industries for us. And bringing the message of improv that we can be flexible and creative is so exciting for so many people. 
But I also, you know, like to have, like I said, it's not men against women. It's, it's about let's have this conversation. And yeah, we're all going to feel a little uncomfortable, but it's really time. And hopefully for the most part, the people signing your checks are not some of those people who think back to moments, you know, where they would be embarrassed. Hopefully not. No. But if they are, it's time for them to reconsider their behavior because it's really not acceptable anymore. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I feel like the men that I work with are good men that understand what's happening. But at the same time, you know, there's no, no. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> positioning and, no, no. and it's our positioning. And, and by the way, it's not only feminist that's a bad word. Also, diversity is a bad word. People think diversity, oh, well, it's like Title IX, right? They don't like that because it seems like it's forcing them to do things that maybe aren't the right thing to do. And so diversity in organizations, in fact, in most organizations, diversity initiatives have not been successful, but it's because of what we think about diversity. It's not about diversity. It's about inclusion. We should call it inclusion initiatives as opposed to diversity initiatives, because that's really what it is. Are we including everyone in our organization in a fair and equal way? And that's really what it's all about. But people think, oh, we've got to hire more women because it's a mandate. And, you know, people don't like that. Well, by the way, women don't like that. I don't want to be hired if I'm not the best person, but because I'm a woman, I want to be hired because I am the best person. But you have to have enough chances to be in front of people to be seen as the best person. Yeah. And as we think about some of those arguments, they're actually pretty unfounded. So number one, I think that, for example, if we go out and look at the Catalyst research, it is absolutely proven that every company that has a greater representation of women on its board has higher profits. So I'm not sure what board member would say, hey, I want less higher profits. Let's hire more guys like me. <laughs> right. And diversity is not just about gender. It's also about age. It's about so many different things that, yes, it's disruptive. And yes, you might feel uncomfortable because you're not surrounded by people like you, but it will move your company forward in a far more effective way. And in this global world, you cannot step away from it. I think also that inclusion piece, Maribeth, you really hit the nail on the head because it's not about just sort of hiring a bunch of people that look different because then they're going to come into your organization and be miserable. <laughs> your, your organization has to be a place where they feel included, where they feel wanted and valued. And, you know, to that point, there's one other story that I, I really hate to hear. It's when people say, oh, well, we would have hired a woman, but there were no candidates that were qualified. And that is a patent lie. That's search organizations or people not knowing where to look. It's also part of us not tooting our own horns. Mm. You know, more and more, we have to let people know about our capabilities. So some of the most interesting and wonderful men I've talked to are very, very high up in major Fortune like 10 and Fortune 100 organizations, and they refuse to fill a position until half of the slate is women right? There was one man I knew who kept a major position open. I mean, it was so much pain for his organization for almost a year because they could not bring forward half female candidates. And once they did find a slate of candidates, he found that by far the most qualified, the perfect person for that position happened to be one of the women. Now it could have gone the other way, but he refused to move forward until there was a fair and equal slate of candidates. And you know, that's all we're asking for. We don't mind who you higher in the end, but just give us the opportunity to be at the table. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly right. Because you don't know who's the best person if you aren't looking at everyone, if you aren't looking at a complete slate. I love that idea of having an even slate of people as you're trying to hire for a new big job. So because if you have, by the way, it also shows, you know, I'm kind of a research geek, but it shows that if you have only one female candidate, say amongst five, she will never be chosen. Hmm. Interesting. So, 
So yeah, you're basically checking a box saying, oh good, we've got a female, now we don't have to hire her. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's a really interesting sort of psychological twist that you must have multiple of every type of person you're interviewing. That's only fair. Right. No, absolutely. So let me change the conversation just a little bit because I want to ask you one final question because I never had a podcast quite like this. Yeah. You trained at Second City and, you know, I live in Chicago. My daughter actually trained there when she was in high school, but training at Second City, it's the most legendary place. It's where pretty much everybody who goes to Saturday Night Live comes from Second City. A lot of the actors and actresses that are all over come from Second City. So talk about your experience there, because I think it could be very interesting for our audience. It was really great. It was a launching pad for me. And I do talk a little bit about it in my third book that just came out with ATD, Go With It. Embrace the Unexpected to Drive Change. So that's a really fun thing that just came out this fall. And Second City was a great launching pad. I learned a lot. I performed there. I I left there pretty quickly because my career sort of took off, Maribeth. I was so lucky as an actor. I did so much theater kind of all over the country. I did improv. I did Shakespeare. I did TV. I did some film. I did a lot of radio. So I had a fantastic career. And it it got me so confident because I had learned to do improv at Yale as an undergrad. And the work at Second City just really solidified that. I met some incredible luminaries, people who went on to be amazing in the field. And, you know, after I'd had that great career, the funny part is when I hit New York, I was making a lot of money as an actor, but I was really ready for a new challenge. And that's when I went into IT. I literally like just flipped a coin. I quit one day. I went into an arena I knew nothing about. And my improv abilities allowed me to really surf that crazy experience. I crammed and took classes every night, but I improvised during the day. And that was the beginning of my idea around the fact that improv could help professionals be better. And luckily, the Wharton Business School allowed me to start my research there. And many years later, here we are with Improv Edge. And I'm so honored and proud to say that we're in the top 1% of women-owned businesses in the United States. Because again, this work with everything from CEOs literally to steel workers on the line, help people be more communicative, collaborative, flexible in any arena. That launching pad, I will always be so grateful for. Hmm, I love it. So talk about how people can reach you, reach your company, your website, books, all of that kind of stuff. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So improvedge.com, improvedge.com is where you can find all the information about the work that we do and the, the workshops and virtual and e-learning that we provide. Certainly, if you want to get the books, you can find them on the website, improvedge.com. But I'm also available, of course, on Amazon and anywhere that books are sold. We are partners with companies like BookPal and other great independent providers. So look for them there. I have three books, The Improvisation Edge, be the best bad presenter ever, and then also go with it. In addition, before that, I created the Yes Deck, which is a cool deck of 29 cards that can help you have everything from a better conference call to a better interview. It uses improv to teach you how to do that. So we have a ton of really fun products, but also services that can serve you. So go to improvedge.com. And, and Marybeth, thank you for the opportunity to talk about that. Well, thank you so much. I have enjoyed our conversation and I've learned quite a bit. And also, I think our audience will really appreciate the candid conversation that we had today. So thank you so much, Karen, for being a part of the Female Insight Zone. Oh, what a pleasure, Mary Beth. Your work is fantastic. And thank you for making this opportunity. Thanks for listening to the Female Insight Zone. 
a podcast dedicated to sharing insights from women who have made an indelible mark in business and the path they took to soar. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.